wants me to take responsibility for everything that went wrong in our relationship. I mean, she goes on for five pages about, about how I was unfaithful to her. We were on a break! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is entitled Weekend. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Entitled Weekend. That's right. We were on a break, a, a very long break, but we're back for the new year, and the Patriots are back in the playoffs. So for those of you who doubted it, then that's your fault. But, uh, there, but there were a lot of people who actually did, and and I want to start with you, Bill, because you had a tweet just today that spawned this topic of about the Patriots being in the playoffs um, a one-year hiatus, but really bucking the trend that spending big met, means no playoffs. You know, there are examples like the uh, Washington team and the Jets, you know, teams who've gotten like major superstars, like three or four different superstars. And, you know, because of that, I guess that the whole mantra is, well, if you spend a lot of money, that means it's not going to go well for you. But the Patriots, I mean, they were in a unique situation this year. Yeah, I mean, there's a few reasons, and I went back to um, I went back to you know a tweet from March and brought it back because we had such a you know such an interesting year with um, COVID last year, with sort of a downgrade from Tom Brady to Cam Newton, um, and just thinking through all of the different pieces that went into play last year. This was really a multi-free agency year for the Patriots because they essentially upgraded their quarterback position with Mac Jones over Cam Newton. While not increasing the sal the salary by a tremendous amount, um, they also then got all of the COVID returns. Um, specifically, you know, Hightower in the middle being able to perform with leadership there despite his retirement. Um, and then we got the free agency influx, you know, where we went to Target. We picked up Matt Judon and Kendrick Bourne, put them in the car, you know, signed the offense, the balls out front to be the offensive line. At you know, Target but caller at Target. At Target, the, the, but, the cheapest the cheapest store besides the dollar store. But at the end of the day, they were a seven win team, and most seven win teams are not the teams in position to spend the amount of money that they were anticipating spending. Is it harder to go from seven wins to ten, eleven wins than it is to go from two wins to six wins? Absolutely, it is. But when you pick the right people, you're getting some returns, you're getting some key cogs back. It makes it much more likely. And it makes you likely to buck that trend because you're not the Washington football team. Because the Washington football team doesn't have Bill Belichick. It doesn't have Devin McCourty and Hightower coming back. It doesn't have an established offensive line. It doesn't have, you know, the defensive keys and cogs that they had coming back. It doesn't have a J.C. Jackson who is, you know, clearly establishing himself this season, especially as a number one corner. Um, and so you, you've got all these pieces, and I certainly don't want to take up, you know, an hour talking about this, but they are 100% an outlier amongst that. And the fact they had that money to spend was partially because they knew it was time to cut ties with players like Brady um, and to move on to other, you know, to move on to a revamped Patriots roster. And Dan, this this team, this Patriots team, and I said it in the beginning of the season, 
um, even when we didn't have a podcast. I said this on Twitter. I was like, I love this team so much. And it was evident from the beginning that they had something and it's chemistry. And there have been some ups and there have been some downs. And athlete Matthew Dunant talked about this in the press conference, I think, today or yesterday, where, you know, there have been a lot of, you know, moving parts and a lot of changes. But overall, this team has had probably some of the best chemistry I think I've ever seen in a Patriots team. And I think that had a lot to do with the guys who came in in free agency and in the draft. So uh, I just think that it's been uh, a masterclass in not only Bill Belichick's uh, GM-ship, but his, his, his overall philosophy of bringing in guys who fit and, you know, Kendrick Bournes, who, you know, a lot of people made fun of saying, oh, what, what is this guy doing? He's a, you know, a lot of the 49ers fans on, on Twitter had a big problem with him leaving because, oh, you're not going to, he's not going to do anything. He's, he's dancing. Look, Bill Belichick's not going to tolerate him dancing, but, <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's been able to be himself and still produce and still have, have, have people love him like the way they do. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, um, we were talking about this. In, in our in our chat, they missed him big time in that Bills loss. They really missed him because it, he Nelson Aguilar just brings a certain type of I don't know what it is, but it's it's just something that they couldn't do. And, and he brings he I, brings that deep threat dimension that I mean people people joke around and say yeah he's he's so, such a deep threat he really is. I mean, and, and we talked about this I think on our first pod was. Uh, you know, the misconception about his drops and last year, oh, he had a ton of drops last year. He had five drops last year, which Mike Evans had five drops last year. Chris Godwin had five drops last year. Keenan Allen had five drops. I mean, you can go through the list of good downfield wide receivers and that's a pretty normal amount for him. And he had a great season with the Raiders last season. Um, I thought, I want to go back to Bill's point real quick because I thought you nailed it on the head with, um, you know, bringing, you know, when you bring these guys in, um, you know, you, you, you did this master class of piecing everything together. And to Shaq's point, you fit personalities with, you know, talent and also guys that are just going to do the work. And it was a big, it's, it's actually a big experiment if you think about it. I mean, they are it's great they bucked the trend, but it was almost a experiment because you came in with a rookie QB. You overhauled the, the team. Yeah, you brought back some familiar folks, but luckily you had some veterans in there to kind of ground things as well. And they just persevered. And, and that's, you know, we talked about it before. They, they have, they're so, so good at adjusting and weathering the storm or, you know, showing that they can stick in games, even when they look like they're really down, like the Colts game. Uh, and I think that's really the team's personality. Everyone says this team doesn't have a personality or it's it's a sort of a Jekyll and Hyde against good teams. No, I think their personality is give them the context that they just all came together really over this one offseason, this this team. I mean, yes, there's a glue there that's like Hightower, McCourty, Bolden, Slater, um, you know, J.C. Jackson. And then you get guys like, Kevin Van Noy, uh, you know, Kyle Van Noy that come in and, you know, guys that were already in the system. Jamie Collins is another example. I mean, you got guys that kind of remember what that Patriot way was. But I also think they're, since Tom left, 
I think the Patriot way is still there in some sense, but I think they've innovated it. I think they've changed it slightly. And I think Bill has realized and been self-aware that it's okay. They've always had fun. And that's kind of like the misconception too. Like there's no fun in New England. We joke about that all the time. And guys this season are saying like, I wanted to play for Bill. Or they're saying, this is one of the best seasons of my career. Like Hunter Henry is saying like, this is my favorite season. Matt Judon just said, this is my favorite year of my career. Um, I mean, that's amazing that guys are saying like, they are knocking down all these stereotypes that the Boston media built up and proving them wrong. And I mean, mean, no matter what they say, what they're going to say is always, well, yeah, I would say that too, if I got paid what they got paid. Um, But they're, they're dealing with challenges now. Now they're in the thick of it. They're, they're, you know, deep in there where they just experienced the Colts and the, the Buffalo losses. They got a quote unquote, get right game against the Jags and, you know, put a 50 burger up, but it's, it's those types of moments where, you know, you stick in the Colts game, you, you stayed in there. I mean, some can even argue, yeah, you were there in the bills game for a period of time until, you know, it kind of got away from you, but this team is never just done. This team doesn't lay down. This team doesn't have tantrums and give up. I haven't even seen, have you, I, I mean, I really haven't seen where the team has turned on each other. And I know for some people, they say that's that's the moment you need because then the team talks to each other. I, I've just never seen that. And I think there's a maturity to this team, even though they have a lot of youth, they have a lot of veteran uh, minds in there too. And I just love, I just think it's like, one, like I think about old Celtics teams too, especially when like Kevin Garnett came in and, and, and things like that. And it, that was the year that it was like this perfect injection of veterans and youth and role players and everything like that. And I think about old Patriots teams too. It's the same way. It's like, that's what I love about team building is when it all fits together and you take it. And I was saying this last week, you cast a wide net. That's what team building is. You don't hit on all your draft picks. You might not hit on all your free agents, but what should happen is there should be, you know, the cream of the crop should rise to the surface there out of all of that. And then that's your team. And, and Bill's hit it on a bunch of times. Your, your, uh, your roster build um, and, and the orientation of what you've built up. So I, I can't say enough good things about it. I know we all enjoy it. And I think um, back to the other thing I want to point out that Bill was talking about was the misconception about spending a lot of money. It doesn't always work. Well, because a lot of those teams are like one and 15 or two and 14 back when it was 16. Um, and then they spend a lot of money and they only get to six wins. So you take a seven-win team, you do that, and it's a different – we haven't seen this. I mean, maybe one time, and I think someone pointed this out, I don't know if this was the Jacksonville Jaguars team that they spent a bunch of money on and they they faced us in the uh, AFC Championship that year. Like th- there might be like very small examples of this happening where it just, you know, randomly, um, and that's not the norm. But this is also not the norm to go from a seven-win team that – you could argue, go back to last season, they could have been a much better team. They could have been a 10-win team if you go back and you really tic-tac and you do the what-if game, Monday, uh, Monday morning quarterback, all that stuff. But yeah, I, I just think like we're experiencing yet again another thing that I don't know if we'll see for a very long time after this. And I really hope that, and I think they will, um, keep this consistency going into the offseason, regardless of what happens with the playoffs and uh, build on it um, and, and keep it going. 
So it, it, we've we've been spoiled. So the expectation is, oh, now we're just going to keep rising. Hopefully, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't always work that way either. So um, we just got to lower expectations a little bit sometimes. Yeah, I wish I would, you know, and this is the Entitled Podcast Network. And the reason why, and I believe, I'm, I hope I'm speaking for Ironhead um, when I say this, is that the reason why this podcast and Entitled Town and Entitled Weekend was started was because, like you said, Dan, fans are spoiled. And I think this time in a, in a vacuum is going to be a great time because it's, 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 a, it's a weird phrase, house money, but it's true. The Patriots are playing with house money. They were not expected to make the playoffs. They were not expected to do much because of last season. And when, when, whenever, whenever you try to explain it to somebody to say, well, it, it wasn't a good season because of, of you know, all the COVID opt-outs and all of these things, you're like, well, you're met with, oh, well, that's an excuse. Well, it's not an excuse if it's true. Uh, and Bill Belichick himself said it on, on the radio to Charlie Weiss. And of course, that was met with always oh, an excuse. But again, it's the truth. You had you had enough money. You had the money that you had to spend. They did it. The, the TV contracts are gonna do something next year. I'm, I'm, I don't want to get too you know uh, CNBC with that. But you know, it's it, it, when you have it, it's available to you. And so you know, a seven win team from last year, and now looking at what this team is. I mean that's a miracle that they won seven games, and you know, I, you know, I love you know Cam Newton. I mean, God bless you, but I mean, my goodness, if you. I saw mean, you look at you look at him right. getting COVID last year, and we saw that Monday night game, or whatever night that was, because it got <laughs> pushed with the the Chiefs, where we knew we could if we had it's just a competent quarterback, we would have easily won that game, in my opinion. But that that's neither here nor there here now. What what I want to just note that you kind of were were getting there, Shaq, is when Bills fans come at us or any other fan base and say, "Oh, like it sucks to be you. You're not." Hey, we're playing with with house money. We <laughs> we weren't supposed to be here. Right and I now, love how right now, the Bills like players- we should be. The Bills players and fans are acting like, well, it's, I can't believe we're about to win. the. We could possibly win the division. Yeah. Congratulations. Because that's what you were supposed to do, according to all the experts. We weren't even supposed to be here. I mean, I think a lot of people had us ranked before the season start. And we can, I can go pull receipts because people will play revisionist. Everyone's going to hedge their bets now and say, oh, we, we never doubted that, you know, how this whole routine goes, especially we're nearing the playoffs. Everyone's going to say, we never doubted you because on this date in November, I said you guys were probably going to face the Tampa Bay Bucks in the Super Bowl. You know, like they're, they're always going to just note the, that random time where it was the last thing I saw sort of thing. Um, but nobody, every, everyone had us, I think maybe like 16 to 18, probably ranked before the season started, just missing the playoffs. And I think that's because people are like, it's still the Patriots. So they kind of give us that a little bit, but at the same time, like they're in the playoffs now, that's it. That's all I care about. Like, it, and, and I, I saw someone tweeting this, this past week, which was what's the scariest place you could play. I was like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> like, we're in the playoffs. We weren't supposed to be here. I'll go anywhere. And, and I'm fine with it because I also trust this team that they can do things that people just doubt. And 
I also love, and I know we all probably share this. I love being the underdog again. I I love like not expecting and, to dominate every game. I love yeah. that little piece of it. But and unlike unlike and unlike what was it 2018, 2018 when you know all the media people when 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 all when Brady and all these players were saying you know we're underdogs and you know they're not they're uh, they tell they say that we suck. Then you had all these media people running rounding the bases saying, "No, that's not what we said. We didn't say that. We didn't mm-hmm. say you didn't have a chance." And, but now, but now you act well. Number one, not only did you say it, you believed it. But now, <laughs> the Patriots are the underdogs. Like they literally are. So right. now you you can't say you didn't say it. The joy of the Patriots now being Team X is so enjoyable to me after years of hearing this is the wild card team that could get you this is the wild card team that could get you the patriots are the team that people the don't want to see walk into your stadium and get right. you because it's the patriots can beat you in bad weather the patriots can beat you in good weather the patriots are a team that's really adaptable because they've built their roster with a lot of malleability. They've got receivers with different strengths. People um, criticized signing both Karras and Andrews, but now signing Karras has allowed us to have on Wayne as the sixth offensive lineman. That signing has become a huge piece of who the Patriots are as an offense. And so you're looking at, like, they can mix and match these pieces. You've got tight ends who can be running backs. You've got wide receivers who can be running backs. You've got the QB, you know, you've got the pitch passes. You've got a lot Mm -hmm. of dimensions to this team where they can get you in a fluid amount of ways now can they play poorly sure we saw that with the in in the indianapolis game to an extent we saw that defensively though i think it was really scheme trying to set up allen to make mistakes in the buffalo game i just don't think they executed in the moments where he made riskier throws um so i think we saw that defensively in the buffalo game and so can they play on the downside of their expectations yeah but if they get hot like they were during the seven game win streak does anybody doubt the ability of the New England Patriots to win four straight games? I don't think I don't think there's a slate of four teams they couldn't beat if they're playing at their peak. If they're playing to their average, it's a toss-up. And if they're playing below expectations and beating themselves, they're going to be one and done. But that makes them the underdog, and that's what's exciting. But they are, this year, that Team X. And that's so funny to me after you know 15 years of hearing about what Team X is going to come and beat us in the postseason. And I think there's a little less uh, anxiety about the seeding this year in general because there's only one uh, buy in the first round this year where it was always there was two up for grabs previously. Uh, and it was like, no matter what, the Patriots kind of figured out a way to get one or two. But now that it's just one, it's like in the fact that the Patriots still have a shot at getting the one seed, you know, with a lot of help. Um and people, you know, if you listen to sports radio, they'll probably say, well, they should be the one seed because they should have beat this team and they should have beat their blah, blah, blah. Uh, that Miami game, that Miami loss looks worse and worse. Um, I, you know, I think about what you just said about that 2018 team. And towards the end of the season, it, it just reminds me of the same thing as like they lost to the Steelers. And that's when people really started to hit the Patriots and be like, what's going on? Like, this isn't a playoff team. And then they lost to Miami. It's like, oh, this there's no way this team's going anywhere. And then when they faced the chargers, it was like, they flipped everything on its head. And it was almost like they were just waiting to do something like that to just say, Oh, you know what? We're just going to run it. And Sonny Michelle's just going to look right. like, shout out to Sonny Michelle, by the way. 
Doug's He's killing it right now. Doug's will come and get us. <laughs> if you say his name three times, Sony Michelle on Twitter, he shows up. Oh boy, yeah. It, it, it's it's. I'm I'm really happy for Sony Michelle. He's doing really good in Los Angeles, but. It, it, it's just really funny how, t- you know, time is so is a flat circle. It's cyclical. Everything everything is happening the way it's supposed to be, even though you, you don't expect it to. And I, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, look, at, at the end of the day, we get to watch another Patriots game. And I think we would all sign up for that. And Well, we actually do get to watch two extra Patriots well, games this season. <laughs> oh, well, two, two – that's true. That's true because this because – this, Next game that we're about to talk about is, and we're not going to talk that much about it because, I mean, it's Miami and they're not in the playoffs. I mean, I know, I understand the the uh, spoiler effect. I, I don't know what they would be spoiling because, again, the Patriots are already in the playoffs. They're, the only thing they can spoil is the seeding, but it would be a good thing to get a win, especially in Miami, because you know, again, another another thing that everybody's harping on. Oh, they don't do well in Miami uh, and all of this stuff, but. Again, if this season is a season of bucking trends, then I wouldn't be surprised to see them win in Miami since they did it in they they did it in Buffalo, you know. So, what do you guys think about about this game? And because I I, I, I I get up for every previous game, but this I, I just I don't know I, I just don't really see the intrigue here. Am, am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. I mean, I think the I think there's a level of intrigue here, um, but I think a lot of the intrigue relies on how Miami responds to being eliminated from the playoffs, and that's the thing that we don't understand as Patriots fans. We don't know what you know. We're not that clued in to the Miami market and to the Miami quote, the quotes coming out of Miami and what they actually mean because yeah, we don't Flores, know that team I mean, particularly he, well. He, he can get he can get them you know focused on what needs to happen. Right, because if they if they come out flat. The Patriots will roll. There's, that's just what will happen. But if they come out and they're like, you know what? It's our last game of the season. We want to play hard. Like I feel like Flores is the type of coach that will make this an interesting game because he'll get his team up. But it's all resp- how the players respond. So that's why it's always hard to get up for these games that it's not meaningless, but it's like meaningless adjacent. It, it, it's, you know, the seating can change. Obviously, if the Jets beat Buffalo, which is super unlikely, which I'll sort of get to in my final thought, but it's super unlikely that that will happen. Um, then, you know, obviously Miami could spoil a division for us, but like Miami also knows that's uncertain. And so I, I just, I have a hard time really understanding how up I should get for this game. Um, and, you know, I've heard, and Dan, I think you brought it up in the chat um, earlier this week about, you know, people calling this game, the Miami game, a get right game. And I'm like, get right is sort of a, a term that I reserve for like the team that you should beat by multiple scores. And if you're not, you're likely still making the same mistakes that you were when you were losing to better teams. And you're looking to like sort of square yourself up and get away from the mistakes in a situation where you have a chance to focus on that and clean it up. Cause you're clearly playing a worse team. Miami is a decent team. They're not a get right spot for anything. They're a test in an ex- to an extent. They're a opportunity to hone your skill, but that's every football game. And so I'm like, I I, I know the you know the the uh, mothership guys aren't crazy about the term get right game, but I I do think that they're that's reserved for a very specific type of game. And considering I would have called the Jets game earlier this year, 
um, and the um, Jaguars game, and they won by a combined 104 to like 24 or something. Um, I think that that re- they really took advantage of those spots I would have called get rights. Um, but this week is certainly not that, regardless of how Miami comes out. It's really more an opportunity to hone skill heading into the postseason. Yeah, I, I'd agree that I'm interested to see where Miami's head is at in terms of is this going to be treated like a Super Bowl like it was in 2018? Uh, you know, it, I feel like there'd be way more on the line if they uh, could knock them out of the playoffs, obviously, or really drop them in the seating, which I don't think they can really do much at this point. I don't think they can even drop that much. So really, I mean, I think it's more of a pride thing maybe, or if they're trying to hit bonuses um on their roster and so they're going to play to a certain extent but to back to bill's point i think if the patriots come out and kind of start rolling especially with the run game i don't see miami wanting to stick around in that game uh what's the point honestly like you're going to get injured trying to you know come back against the, the pats unless like the pats just come out and start making mistakes and then it's a different you know, it's it's like the Colts game or, you know, the Saints game where like you just start making mistakes. Well, you're, it's going to be really hard to win this game, especially on the road against, you know, a divisional opponent, but a tough opponent in general that could have easily made the playoffs. Um, obviously, the Brian Flores factor, uh, that piece, he, he wants to beat Bill. I think every former coach wants to beat their mentor. Uh, and obviously Bill's going to throw it. So his tree looks stronger. Shout out to media pitch bot. Um, so I, I think the Patriots should win this game. I think we all know that. And I think the dynamics a little different than previously when we've gone on the road at the end of the year where we lost the first one and we lost it by a mistake. And I think to that Bill probably would love to win this game. And he said something this week that kind of caught my eye because typically he doesn't give much to what is happening. In the, the last week, especially if they've already clinched, typically it, it could be a toss up and then he ends up resting people or something, you know, it, it, he's not going to go balls to the wall, but he said something and, and maybe it was about Damian Harris, which was like, uh, you know, you know, be ready because we're going, you know, this isn't like, we're not slowing down. Basically we're, we have a lot of work to do going into this game and just the things he was, the way he was saying it was like, they're treating this like this is week seven. You know, like that, like they're not treating this like this is just the last game. And that's another, you know, we talk about bucking trends and stereotypes. That's always a stereotype is the last week is always just like a, a second stringer, third stringer, or mail it in game or rest your players, that sort of thing. I, I think Bill wants to treat this differently because um, there is a chance. I mean, as long as there's a chance they can move up in seating, which they can, uh, barring a lot of help. It's like don't don't just mail it in because what happens if like that that whole scenario happens and you mailed it in and you could have had a chance. So I just don't see Bill. Bill's always prepared for whatever. So uh, and I think he, that was the other point he made is this is a good test going into the playoffs. Like they should continue to play um, their best ball going into the playoffs. And if they take the foot off the gas now, I think that's going to hurt them even more. Going honestly, like. I don't think this is the old, you know, rest them and we're going to pull out some tricks. I think they really need to continue momentum because I, I think they did so well with that that winning streak before, the seven-game winning streak, 
that this could really juice them going into the playoffs versus being concerned about resting. So. Yeah, Dan, I would just add there that if we, we need to consider how they came out of the bye, um, you know, they came out and made mistakes yep. we hadn't seen since week four. And so you're, Belichick is looking at how this team is made up, and they're made up clearly by a group that really responds to routine. And so the bye might not have been the best thing for them. And so, you know, they had a rest recently. You know, they had a rest recently. They got the late bye, I think it was week 14. Um, and so they got a recent rest. They've rebounded from that. Now you can run into the postseason with it because this team clearly responds most to a high level of consistency and coaching on a regular basis. When they got that time off, they struggled. And so I mm-hmm. think that we, you know, that's, they struggled coming out of the gate, not having played games and started two and four. And then they struggled coming out of the bye. That tells us that we want them playing games. We want them to be in the habit of playing games heading into the postseason. So, you know, I, I don't think it takes a football mind to even say that you should be playing hard in week 18, if you're this Patriots team and Belichick certainly knows all the buttons to push with the team. So I, I completely agree. This should be, this should be sort of like they're just building. So they, you know, they had their get right game, quote unquote against the Jags. Now you're facing more competent competition against the, the thing about the dolphins that I always look at, you know, on paper, that team should be so much better, but really where they lack is Tua in the offensive line. I mean, Every other position is great. I mean, they're, they're or solid. You know, it's it's just that's where the pieces don't all come together. Like you look at Miles Gaskin, he's great. He's super talented. It just, I don't know. Just there's just something there that they're just not clicking, and it has to do with Tua, in my opinion, in the offensive line. So for the Patriots, again, that's that's a spot right there for guys like Judon who. You know, he's, since he's come back with COVID, it's been a little spotty for him. It's a perfect opportunity. Guys like Barmore to continue to build. Uh, you know, he, he had a great game last week. Just continue to build that. Godchow, it's a, a you know, quote-unquote revenge game. Kyle Van Noy, revenge game. You want to keep doing the revenge game thing? But it really, like this, and it's a divisional opponent. So even if they're out of the playoffs, that this should just be step one getting into the playoffs for, for the Patriots and just continue to build on that. Yeah, and sorry, Shaq, I don't want to step on toes. One more thing is just J.C. Jackson um, going up against Waddle keeps him in a laser-focused mentality against a really solid wide receiver, and especially if we're very, which we're very likely to, draw the Bills in round one in the playoffs after, um, you know, missing some opportunities covering digs. I think keeping him in that frame with a high-level wide receiver during week 18 will only prepare him more holistically for the first round of the playoffs, whether that be a Jamar Chase with the Bengals, whether that be a Stephon Diggs with the Bills. It just keeps him in that mind and in that focus where he's going to be up a t- a, more regularly against a top-tier guy. And so I, I think that's you know really a key part of this game is to see how JC responds to covering Waddle um, when he's matched up in that situa- situation. See now, see now, you guys, you guys. See, this is why I, I wanted to do this because, you know, I wasn't really that enthused with the game. And I, I mean, I was, but now I'm even more enthused to, to watch. Yeah, you guys hit it the nail on the head. How does Miami respond? How does Miami treat this game? So this is that's the way the uh, angle in which I'm going to look at it. And speaking of angles, um, I've been wanting to talk about this for 
almost three weeks now, and I'm so glad that we're back that we that we're able to do this. Um, we're going to dig a little bit deeper, so I'm going to play my. Uh, I'm not going to say Doctor Phil because he's a fake doctor, but I'm just I'm playing. My, I'm going to play fake psychologist here because this is. Uh, oh, it's something that that fascinates me about the human, the human instance and the human uh, way of 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 how, how we remember things. And so um, it all goes back to, I believe it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, no, actually it was in December 20th when uh, I, this reporter for the Buccaneers from ESPN, her name is Jenna Lane. She had a tweet. Uh, this was when Chris Godwin from the Buccaneers wide receiver uh, tore his ACL. And she had a tweet that says like this, the Brady rule was created in 2009 after one year after Tom Brady tore his ACL. Brady raised the question Monday, why aren't wide receivers afforded the protection other positions are when it comes to diving at the knees? So do you notice something wrong with that tweet? Do you notice anything? Yeah. The good old Brady rule. The good old Brady when it, rule. When it came out, they were just like, it's going to be called the Brady rule. Yep. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Well, she knows her history well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's ESPN. So first of all, I mean, we're, we're good. This is going to be an ESPN uh, bashing session. So prepare yourselves, folks. This is going to be uh, an all encompassing ESPN uh, punch out. Uh, so yeah, about this, <laughs> we all know of um, those of you who are listening and those of you here, we all know that this is complete bullshit, right? Because it, whenever people talk about the Brady rule, they think about the rule that's, you know, it, it always goes into uh, how people remember things. So this is not the Brady rule. This is the Carson Palmer rule. And it's literally revisionist it, history. It's, I mean, it's this is the definition. Revisionist to, history to its core. And, and we've always talked about it. Like, what's the number one response that ESPN plays off is anger and yes. what, what words always just piss off every other fan base are Brady Patriots, Belichick, Deflategate, Spygate, throw any of that out. And then when you say the refs are protecting Brady or the Patriots, they're always they you know, Patriots get all the calls, all that stuff. Um, this is another example where that continues to be perpetuated from just idiots. I mean, it, I, it wasn't even, uh, you know, something with <laughs> ill intent, malcontent. It was, it was more like she's just dumb. Like, and I think <laughs> that that's more like it's a so And it's probably something that ESPN just says in their yeah every you know, day the, the lunchroom wherever. Just right. like they're probably just like yeah you know the Brady rule. And then she just picks up on that. And I'm not you know she might be a smart person. She went to a college, whatever. She you know. She got her job. She deserves it. But if you're in the industry and you don't even just Google, like, Jesus fucking Christ, just fucking Google. Like, what? this is what I can't stand. And this and I, this is going to go with my final thought as well, is Google is a gift we don't deserve because we don't even use it. It's And it's, it's just people are just – I can't even – with this woman, you know, just – and, and then it becomes a whole sexist thing. Then once you start oh, commenting, be like, "Oh, you're being sexist." Save your ire, Dan, because the next the next part of this is gonna, you know, it's oh, gonna Jesus. be even even more of that. So, yeah, she I need she's to watch a, my blood pressure. 
she, she to an extent is a victim of the ESPN complex that has been built up around the Patriots for the last 15 years. Cause you got to remember this was 15 years ago now when Tom, when the Carson Palmer rule went in and Tom Brady's rule was the year and the Tom Brady piece of it was the year after that component's a problem. And so you're talking about people who are now entering the field who have always heard it as the Brady rule. They don't think they need to Google it because it's just been colloquially called the Brady rule for the last 15 years. And it's, you can't like, to an extent, I don't blame the reporter. I blame 15 years of shit reporting that led to people believing that's the case. And so I, I, you know, I almost empathize with people who are now spouting this out, who are entering the field because they've been misinformed by the people who are educating them on how to enter the field. And, you know, as some people know, because I talk about it on Twitter here and there, I'm a former high school guidance counselor. Like when I talk about this stuff, I'm like, people are prepared by the people that go before them. And so you're counting on your Mortensons, you're counting on your Jim Grays, you're counting on your, you know, you're counting on all of these people who have been misinformed about this. John Clayton, all of these people who have been misinformed about this stuff for 15 years and spouting the misinformation for 15 years are now educating younger people on how to do it. And it's unfortunate because though it's not of the fault of the younger people that they don't understand these colloquialisms are misinformed. It's that the standard in the industry is now to believe these misinformed components. And that's a huge issue with this ESPN complex that's been established. And, and Bill, it's, it's not just it's not just the professionals. It's it's parents that used to be fans at a time where it was much fresher. They're telling their kids these misconceptions and these untruths. Because that's the that's what they want to be a reality, and then they tell their kids this, and now their kids are on social media platforms, oh, yeah. and they're saying all the same things. They're like, "Well, yeah, like it's a fact," and then say, "Show me, show me where you learn this," and they're like, "Oh, I don't, I don't have to." And they're you know these kids, they're teenagers, so it it, it just perpetuates through generations of because of hatred, and, and mm-hmm. that's the end. And this- and, and, this is it where is. my this is where my my fake psychology degree comes in because you know this is false memories and false memories can form very easily and there is a saga and I want you guys to google this after the show um there is a saga about Sinbad and a movie he made and it has everything to do with what's called the Mandela effect and there is a movie that's called Shazam and Sinbad, who is a guy who plays a bumbling genie, who adventures with two small kids, two small kids. However, this movie does not exist. But it seems like there are a lot of people who believe that it does exist. And so even they even went so far as to say to at him on Twitter, to at Sinbad on Twitter to say, you were in this movie. And not only that, they they've sent him uh, uh Pictures of video of a video uh, cover that said Shazam with his not not even his body, but his face on it. Like people go through so much to believe what they truly believe. And this is where it comes from. This is the Brady rule aspect. This is everything that that has to do with Patriots hate. It's whatever they've been fed and that, that they believe is true is true. And whatever the facts are, whatever facts exist, whether it's on Google, whether it's everywhere, that doesn't exist because their truth is the only truth. And that's the Mandela effect. Shaq, let me let me just sort of tie on to this with, with my real psychology degree. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is 
a classic case, and you're absolutely right, you're using Mandela effect 100% correctly. This is also confirmation bias. And there's a great study about confirmation bias, where they talk about, you know, people having watched a highway to say like, oh, I think a lot of people drive red cars. So then you count all the red cars all day and say, I saw 1,200 red cars come through. That means that a lot of people drive red cars because 1,200 is a big number. Did you count how many cars drove through? Did you count that so you could get the percentage? Did you assess where people are coming from? Maybe it's for, you know, did you assess where people are traveling from? Did you assess the time of year where people might have more red trucks might exist than red cars? And if it's winter, people are driving trucks more. It's a confirmation bias. You find the samples, the little nuggets to allow you to believe what you want to believe. And so that's a big piece of that is that there's this confirmation bias that goes on where it's, oh, see, they called it the Brady rule and therefore it's the Brady rule. Oh, the Tuck rule is only called for Brady because it's the only one that people remember and talk about. You know, oh, that's the example of the Tuck rule, Tom Brady. Forget about Vinny Testaverde week two of that same year. It, ha- it, it only happened with Tom Brady because I saw it happen with Tom Brady. I saw the clip, you know, at 2 a.m. on, you know, ESPN Classic. And so now I know. By the way, R.I.P. ESPN Classic. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one of the few things that ESPN did right was ESPN Classic. And, of course, they had to get that out of the way to allow for, you know, the bloated salary of 800 tryhards. Um, But it's that classic confirmation bias. It's I'm going to find the nugget and I'm going to ignore any counter evidence, even if that is, you know, more substantial, more believable or more comprehensive. And I'm just going to believe this raw count or this raw data that I found because it proves my point. Right. ESPN likes to hire former adversaries and opponents of the Patriots as well. You may look at Ryan Clark, look at Rex Ryan, uh, you, they hired Eric Mangini at one point. Um, and it's not just ESPN, it's other networks that hire guys like, you know, Bart Scott, um, Shannon Sharp, Shannon Sharp, uh, you know, even, you know, Tony Dungy with in, in, you know, for NBC and, or guys like Chris Sims, there, there's just so many of layers and they, they start from, they were great in football to they barely made it like Chris Sims. Um, and they're just – they have so much hatred and resentment for the Patriots organization, Bill Belichick, whatever. And they help perpetuate a lot of these lies and these these biases, biases and uh, these misconceptions um, as well because then simpleton fans can say, well, this guy played against them. He knows. Or this guy was a coach in the NFL. He, he agrees that Deflategate happened. So these are just – it's it's just a nonstop perpetuation that we're not going to have go away forever. It's going to be there forever. All these there's going to be always an idiot that's going to be saying this stuff, and or they're going to share. Like one of my favorites was when uh, was it Super Bowl Fifty One when um, there was like those conspiracy theory YouTube videos that came out that the games were rigged for the Patriots. Like uh, there was a title at the bottom of the screen. I don't know if you guys remember this. It went into overtime. And it said, Patriots need a uh, touchdown yeah, to win. Yeah, and they said, what? <laughs> the Patriots, did you see that? The Patriots won. Wow, yeah, did you Patriots, see that? Yeah, Patriots yes. win with a touchdown. And so they thought that was a prediction, <laughs> not the rules of overtime. <laughs> oh, they spoiled it. And then even when they did win, people would, like, take that James White 
run into the end zone and they were trying to like spot where the ball was where his knee was and do all this like uh you know serious detective work but this is just why and we go back to patriots derangement syndrome it's just people can you just think just fucking think man like it, it i i swear if if some of these people just had their their grandparents that weren't even around for any of these or great grandparents. And they just came, came back to life and they were like, what are you doing with your life? What are you saying? Like, what are you talking about? And they're just wearing their tinfoil hats and just spouting nonsense. I mean, this isn't just sports. This is politics. This is everything in the news. You know, the same thing. Facebook is fucking cesspool of idiots and no one really says anything because you know those people. And the other part is then you see people that you know embarrass themselves fighting, so you just don't even want to participate. But Twitter's nice because you can kind of behind you're behind a guise, so you can kind of just like go off and no one no one professionally links Twitter anywhere else, but rarely if they're smart. Um, so it, it's just like Facebook to me is like just my parents, and I, I think you know a lot of people talk about this just people say the dumbest shit and their real profiles are on there. So, you know, they're real people uh, that are saying these really idiotic things. And I used to enjoy it, but it also was driving me nuts. So that's why I don't go on there anymore. But this is, this is what I mean. It's just, it's going to be out there forever. Uh, Things like the Brady rule, things like just, they can just make up whatever they want. The tuck rule was made up during the game. You know, that's another example. they, They didn't call it and they just, made it up in the game, even though it was called against the Patriots early in the season, just, just things like that. And science with the flake gate, it's just going to go on forever because we have a nation of idiots and <laughs> it's just going to keep going. And, and it's not just idiots, just people that hate the Patriots. And then there's people who are smart that know the truth and they use this to pander and gaslight for their mm-hmm. own need for clicks and, and likes and everything like that. So you're always going to have this mix and, and that's why things are the way they are right. and we I can't mean, win and our own media hates us too. So, yeah, I, I mean, you, the Ryan Clark thing is a great point, um, Dan, because I think that the piece of it is like going back to the confirmation bias. It's okay. So Patriots win. There's a, you know, there's a discrepancy in the penalties because the other team committed more penalties, not because the Patriots are favored by the referees. Then you hear Ryan Clark say something like, oh, yeah, I remember a game where this person was holding all day and they didn't call it on the Patriots. And then it becomes you know, those two stories get meshed together and it's all of a sudden a building conspiracy that the Patriots are favored by the referees or it's, you know, Oh, we, you know, we padlocked our locker room so no one could come in during the game. Oh, well clearly that, why would they do that if the Patriots weren't up to something? And it's because they're paranoid because they, because they were paranoid and they believe the noise coming out of ESPN. And then ESPN Mm -hmm. uses what they did in response to their noise to prove their noise. And it's just a confirmation. It's all confirmation bias. That's all most of the noise is in regards to, you know, any of these stories: Brady Rule, Tuck Rule, Spy Gate, Deflate Gate. It's all confirmation bias, um, you know, and it's it's ridiculous. And if you guys are, if you guys think this is that's ridiculous, then wait until you hear about this. Now, this clip uh, is from just to give people context. It's from, I believe. Um, there's a man in the arena, you know, the, the Brady uh, show, the documentary, whatever. I, 
honestly, I haven't watched one episode, so I have no clue about anything that's going on. But there's an after show, you know, like Talking Dead, you know, like all these after shows that they do. Um, there's a Man in the Arena after show on ESPN Plus, and it has three people who I have absolutely no idea who any of them are. And <laughs> they just like talk about having no clue. That's all three of these people. Listen to this and please take your uh, head out, out of your hands when you're finished listening. They say it in Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. Like these guys were these guys. They say it in Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. Like these guys were these guys were, uh, you know, this this dynasty who were winning. They were all the talk of the town. With that, there's going to be a microscope on you. There's going to be a microscope on if you slip up, you will get in trouble. And I think with Spygate, that was kind of a missed opportunity. And then I think with Deflategate, it was kind of like, here you go. And I think even Brady said he was like, I'm not going to argue with these billion dollar owners, you know, these billionaire owners, like I'm just not. And, and so I think, you know, there, there's, like you said, Fitz, there's three sides to every story. And I think it wasn't, it was a compound thing that ended up in a massive, you know, kind of, it kind of blew up in everyone's faces, but it was a situation where it was, it was bad for everybody, but I got to like, I was like, it's bad for the NFL to have this, like to have this conversation about a dynasty, like that for anybody that thinks the NFL is out, like this whole conversation sucks for the NFL, because we should be talking about the Patriots in this entire era. And I think most of us smartly are at this point, the same way, that we talked about, for example, the Warriors and how they won, or the Bulls in the 90s and how they won. There should be this nostalgia and oh my God around it. I, like, I don't think the NFL ever wanted this to happen. No, and it tainted it. It tainted the magic of of this. It tainted that Cinderella run, if you will, the Cinderella story. It tainted it because, you know, for, for Pats fans, they're going to try to forget it. But for people who aren't Pats fans, they're going to bring up Spygate and Deflategate as much as possible. Yeah, and you, when you look at Spygate yeah. and Deflategate, you just have to look at the reaction that the team had following yeah. the accusations. Because what did they do? I brought it up. What do they do after Spygate? And what do they do after Deflategate when they were really keeping that eye on them for cheating? They won the bowl. They, they, they went undefeated. So it, it's tough for me to look at this and people want to see it as a reason for their success. But they, they just responded by winning more. Yeah, and that just got people angrier, and I feel like exactly that's why people hate them even more. <laughs> I got people like, "Oh, great, they won the Super Bowl again," and it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. They're like, "Def like a cheaters," too. like it's like it, you can't. You're you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Ladies and gentlemen, the new reboot of the Three Stooges. Bravo! That was like that was like if the Kardashians did a after show for ESPN. Plus there. Can we talk about, can we get the elephant out of the room here? Like the, the Cinderella run. How can you talk about a dynasty and say, no the magic? Cause everyone knows in the story of Cinderella, she then, after she gets the glass slipper, she becomes a juggernaut and she just takes over every town, every castle around her. She fucked five other princes, married them all. Yeah. Tried yeah, to take she had, other castles, didn't go so well with those three others, but, you know, went to nine times. castles, went to nine castles and won six times. That, that's yeah. Cinderella. <laughs> she <laughs> kept going to different castles and losing her glass slipper to marry <laughs> other princes, and she ended up with six. So that's the real Cinderella run. That's impressive that 
but, but all she did was just keep she kept using like hyperbole and and uh cliches just but in the wrong context she's like they were under a microscope it's like they weren't even under a microscope they were literally all there was in front of your fucking face it was like you lived the patriots on the news it was like your whole wall was just patriots mm-hmm. i mean that's that's what it was for most of the time I'm sorry, but wait, was it Cinderella or was it the fairy godmother that really made this happen? We need to we need to tease that out. We need to know who's actually responsible for the six successful castles. So, you know, that's what we need to know. But yeah, I agreed fully, Dan. This is this is asinine. It's conversation for the sake of conversation with a bunch of talking heads who don't know what they're discussing. Uh, Yes, the NFL wanted there to be a microscope on this because they preached parody after the dynasties of the after the dynasties of the Cowboys and 49ers. They were preaching that the parody of the game was paramount. And all of a sudden, here come the New England Patriots to just shove their fists in your fucking face for 20 years. And it's like, what are we doing? You know, they were looking for a way to say, well, no, those other teams still should have won some. You, you want to keep watching if you're a fan of other teams because, like, the Patriots shouldn't necessarily have won all of those. Yeah, they don't want tell, that don't tell me the NFL didn't want that. They, they, they wanted of, they, of course they, they wanted it. And that's fine. Park Avenue is, is covered in, in semen from all the jerk-offs that they were doing, watching them watching them get coverage on The View, on CNN, MSNBC. They were they loved every minute of it. Right. That and honestly to an extent, fine. You want the media coverage. You want the circus. You want the other. You want there to be a villain in your fran- in your set of thirty-two franchises to p- stir up ratings, to stir up the interest in the league. Clearly, it worked. Record TV deals, new deals with Amazon. Like you're talking about a ton of informa- You know, a ton of money coming in during this era as well. So to an extent, there's a a, a, a small modicum of credit to give to the NFL there, where what they did worked. I just don't, you know. I hate that it worked, but it worked because what they were trying to do was stir up interest in the league, and they successfully did it. How can you say the league didn't want this when it's led to record growth in terms of gains? And Bill, you might like this comparison too, but when you think about professional wrestling, the best time in in wrestling when you watched it was when there was a heel on top. Yes. And everyone was rooting against that heel to lose the title and they always found ways to win or, you know, if, you know, there was some dirty tactics in there and, and that's what people, I think, you know, to an extent people that hate it and they hear about things like the flake gate and spy gate, I think they somewhat like it at the same time because it, it builds like this other dynamic to the Patriots. That's almost like someone wrote this, like how, how, how is this all happening? How is this reality? Um, you know, the scandals with the Patriots with Aaron Hernandez and, uh, you know, you talk about like just the drama that's always happening with the Patriots. People will bullshit you and tell you it's not interesting and the Patriots are boring. How the fuck were the Patriots boring? They, they somehow did winning so many different ways over the course of time, and we'll, we could talk about it forever, obviously, like anyone can. You could talk about it for days and days and days, but you'll never see that again in, in, in the ways that it all went down. And the fact that they could have won so many other Super Bowls because they just barely missed opportunities against the Colts, against the Broncos, against uh, you, you know the Giants, 
there were so many other opportunities to even make this dynasty even crazier than it was. And people want to complain about what they ended up with, which is still historical, obviously, and impressive. Uh, but they could have been even better. And I think that's just the whole thing is it's almost like a, a a fictional story someone wrote because it's hard for the human mind to comprehend all of that. And it goes back to it, now that we have social media with the Patriots and, and it's used more often. And, and I think that that's the point is this is all happening in a time where all these thing, other things took off that previous dynasties did not have this with social media and didn't have these concepts like man in the arena and um, you know, all these, just all these platforms to talk about it. Cause imagine these types of things back when the, the Cowboys were on top all the time, or, you know, when the bills lost four Super Bowls in a row, I mean, like, it's just amazing that if that was back, what would it, it would be a disaster. It would be just like a, you know, just, disgusting online you you would puke all the time because that's how it is now it's like as patriots fans that's why we're like what is wrong with you it's because to us we're just fans of the team but to everyone else this just seems made up like and that's why people love the idea of the nfl being behind it the nfl helping them because there's no way this could be reality and that's that's the human mind trying to justify uh, or try to make this all logical in their head it's because the the fans can't differentiate between the NFL's marketing arm doing something and the NFL actually facilitating how games are decided or what have you. The marketing team wanted the Patriots to be the NWO. You know, they're they're coming down. You know, the the title belt is spray painted. They're strumming it like a like a you know like a guitar. They're coming down the aisle and they're the bad guys. And the way I that you know that is if you go on vacation out of state. And you wear a Patriots jersey, you're getting comments. You're getting comments. Now they could be friendly and just sort of conversational, like people who didn't believe in, you know, who, you know, kayfabe is over, and you know, in wrestling, and like people who are in on the joke would like kind of joke around with you. And you've actually got the people who are like, no, it's real to me, and are pissed off about what's happening. And it's you get that anywhere you go. And so the marketing arm clearly set that up in a way to be like, no, no, these are the bad guys. They might be the cool bad guys to you, but they're the bad guys. And it's still that way today. It's just the Brady has gone down to Tampa Bay, become the NWO Wolfpack, and the finger poke of doom is going to be the red jacket ceremony. Like, this is what we're dealing with here. They're all going to come back together and hug it out at the red jacket ceremony, finger poke of doom situation, and all of a sudden everybody's on the same team again. It's just the way that the marketing of the NFL has put things together and the way that they've pushed narratives through ESPN, through their other partners at CBS, Fox, NBC, etc., and how they've used that to frame it so that there is a continued interest in the league, even for people whose teams aren't particularly good, in the same way that they use fantasy football. Yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up uh, Brady, and I... I've made a comment about I want to talk about this really quick. We don't need to talk about the craziness going on down there with Antonio Brown and and Gronk and all this stuff. Because that's, you know, to me, that's irrelevant. But what is relevant to me is the the way people are treating this story and all of these stories is that I, I if all of this were, were happening when they were if they were Patriots, I can't imagine that people would be as supportive for these players as they are now. And 
And just yesterday, um, there's this story about Alex Guerrero and, you know, and him and Antonio Brown going back and forth. And Dan, you got inundated with tweets. Apparently, I guess, you know, Alex Guerrero's, you know, aunt and uncle and mom and dad and all these people were were mad for what you said. And (laughs) this is true because, you know, Alex Guerrero, he's a snake oil salesman. And, you know, he's selling, you know, concussion water and it'll cure COVID and all this stuff. And it's crazy. But I I think I think what I found craziest about that was and we talked about this before about like people who are just coming into the industry, learning these things or newer fans, younger fans, and just taking information given to them without validating it or doing their own research or they weren't around for it. So now they're just, you know, it's, it's what they hear this game of telephone that changes everything. Uh, I would, I would show people the, you know, the, the verbiage, you know, the, the screenshot of in 2005, the U S federal trade commission, you know, sanctioned Alex Guerrero for pretending to be a doctor. Number one, pretending to be a doctor is fucked up. Number two, he created a product called super greens or Supreme greens or something like that. And it claimed that you could cure cancer, AIDS, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, among many other very serious diseases. Um, and people would say, so what matters is that Tom Brady's still playing. Like, what, what is wrong with you? Where, where, where is your human compassion for the people who fell for this shit from the snake oil salesman? And one of the best, and I, I think, Shaq, you actually responded to this one. Uh, of course, he had Trump as his his PFP, but he said it's a free country. Uh, it's not Alex's fault that people fell for it and decided to buy it. I'm like, no, that's legit the definition of a snake oil salesman. That is, it's not capitalism. It's you you did something very wrong. You should have gone to jail for it. Uh, the only reason he didn't go to jail for it is because he barely sold any, because mostly smart people started to realize. There's no way this product is real. Uh, but anyways, it's just amazing to me that people will just forgive that because of association to Tom Brady being on the Buccaneers now. Uh, and then there's guys like, you know, Mike Vick, for instance. You bring up Mike Vick's name with certain crowds and they're like, he never repented. <laughs> he he never reformed, even though the guy completely did. I don't know where you were to witness all that uh, and, and apologize for what he did and all that stuff. It's just amazing that Shaq, you pointed this out. You, you said it perfectly. Was once you make that change of scenery, and now you're the media darling's eyes with a different team, different jersey. It's like all these things just went away, and no one remembers all this bullshit. This guy, yes, he should stick to plyometrics and physical therapy. That's what he's good at, and there's really no harm that can come out of that unless you're injuring people doing practicing that somehow. But Everything else the guy ever did, he was faking it till he made it in a corrupt way, in a criminal way. And I don't understand why people are so forgiving of that. It's it just beyond me. It, it, it blows my mind, even though we know now that that was probably Alex or some <laughs> some friend that he had just a bunch of bots that literally said all the verbatim the same line to me. Uh, which is comical, and I had a lot exactly. of friends reach out to me and and say like that is hilarious. You know, you know, I saw like six different people say the, <laughs> the exact same, same thing. 
He's like, what does this have to do with AB's response? It was very <laughs> polite of him to give back the money. He's a good man. It's like, you, okay, first of all, how fucking dumb are you? Because, yes, Antonio Brown made himself look worse because the guy said he was going to give the money back with that screenshot. But the fact that he had to ask for it, $100,000 that he had sitting, he hadn't done any work, and no one's even going to question that, was why I said, and people said, Alex is a good guy. Why would you even question that? Like, People really forget all the shit he did, you know, 15, 16. Yes, they did. Because that's how we that we have so much information out there. This goes back to confirmation bias and everything else and how the internet is. And you go down rabbit holes of just bullshit and people believe it is when things go that far back in time. I mean, look at OJ Simpson. People just, it's a joke now. He's a joke. Because he's, because he's made it's it that way because he's on Twitter now and he's entertaining. Oh, yeah. So he's that cool. matters he makes, more than – He makes jokes. I feel bad for the family of the victims and, and, and all because I, I couldn't live with people just making a running joke out of the guy who, who killed him just because he got off. And uh, But this is – I'm getting way down a rabbit hole here. But like this is just where we live now is, is idiots that whatever's – you know, the new shiny object in front of them, they'll forget everything else that happened before. And I think the smartest people look back at history, remember it repeats itself at some point. Uh, once a crook, always a crook. Alex Guerrero is either doing something now that is shady or will do it at some point, but he's hiding under the guise of Tom Brady and his glory. And anything that happens on the Bucks, to your point, Jack, is forgiven. If it happened to the Patriots, I mean, this is wild. You have a head coach who won't take ownership over anything, and you have a player who walked off the field who wears who wears sunglasses indoors, by the way. Which you know, if you if, unless you if, unless you, medical, hats, but. unless you have a medical condition that pre- requires you to do that, you're an asshole and a douche. I'm just saying. Yeah, his medical condition is being a fucking prick. That is, <laughs> I mean, the guy looks like walking hypertension. How red he is all the time. I mean, the, the distraction is just the sunglasses and the Kangol hat. Uh, but yeah, he's a super cool I mean, dude. If you're, if you're, if you're, looking, if you're looking like a fat Jim Murray, then you have a problem. Yeah, I mean, the, at the end of the day, the thing is, I would have way less of a problem with the entire story if people were asking for the Buccaneers to take ownership of what they own. It's pretty typical in any scenario like this. It's not 100% anybody's fault. In any given situation, you know, it's the whole, you know, oh, this, oh, you know, oh, I broke up with that girl. She was crazy. No, no, no. Something you did also helped to make that girl crazy. Something you did if on the other side, if you're, you know, oh, I dumped that guy because he went psycho. Well, you know what? That guy, he did, you know, you probably did something to drive that guy psycho too. It's, there's always a responsibility on all fronts, barring some crazy situations. You know, you're talking people who are, you know, assaulting or what have you, different scenarios. But when you're talking about like Antonio Brown going, you know, going off the field, ripping his stuff, his clothes off and throwing them and taking an Uber, you know what? Arians has to own part of it. And if he doesn't have to own anything that happened in that day, because maybe Antonio Brown just decided it was time to do that then what he has to own is the fact that he decided to bring that guy back after the fake vaccine card when he said that there was no funny business. First, no strikes. One strike and you're out. And he gave him a big do-over. And once you give somebody like that latitude, if it was all on Antonio Brown there, you're then culpable for what's happening following. You are responsible for having made the decision you made previously. And the spectacle is partially on you. 
So and Tom, if Tom Brady's guilty of it too. Tom, I mean, Tom yeah. Brady vouched for this guy, and now he's doing the whole like "peace be with you, kumbaya." I'm the the bigger man, even though you brought him in. It, it, Bruce is a part of it, and he's the coach. And you're right, Bill. He's resp- ultimately responsible for what happens on his team, which we know he doesn't have any control, anyways. But no. you brought him onto the team to begin with, knowing the history and all the controversy that comes along with him in general. Yeah, you you listen. Bruce Arians is Mayor McCheese when you know full well that Ronald <laughs> McDonald is running McDonald Land. This is you know it's he is Mayor McCheese. And Brady is Ronald McDonald. And he is bringing in all of his French fry pals to go hang out down in Tampa Bay. That's what's happening here. Oh, the, the Gronk is definitely Grimace. The Grimace, I was just <laughs> no, about to don't. say that. Then, He's so Grimace. <laughs> but, but my yeah, my whole thing is, and like you said in, in, a, in a comment, Dan, it's it's the men in back memory wiper. Like the, the memory has been wiped as soon as, as soon as, and you know what? Good for Brady for going down to Tampa. Congratulations for doing that because it totally changed. And I and I tweeted this um, back in September. It changed his Q rating as far as people and uh, mm-hmm. the opinions of him because I, I'll give you a, a million dollars. There are people today who like Tom Brady who did not like him when he was a Patriot. And it just, it just is. And I'm not saying – you know, that's wrong because everybody, you know, everybody has their own biases and all everybody has their own, you know, people they like and they don't like just because they're in, they're somewhere else. It just is a fact. But when I tweeted that initially, there were people who were like, what? You're crazy. You can't say that. Jersey color doesn't change Brady. Oh, Brady did it. Uh, it does because it does. look look at what's happening. Look look at what's going on. Like there are mm-hmm. there are people who are who who when he was a patriot, they couldn't to talk about him being the greatest quarterback of all time but now in Tampa he is it's it just it's just a it's just the fact that you know that color those 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 color schemes do something to a person's brain and whether whether it's because of the Patriots having been successful for so long or you know maybe it's maybe it's Belichick maybe it's that maybe he is the conduit to all that maybe he's the the uh, the mascot of all the hate. Maybe that's who you're trying to be mad at, but you can't be mad at him either because if you Belichick and Brady will always be intertwined, even though they're down on I ninety five. So that's where I come from with that. Is that just keep the same energy? If you're going to be, t- if you're going to hate Brady now, you need to don't change your mind just because he's in a different jersey. But uh, speaking of jersey and and red jackets. Um, I want to get to this topic real quick, and then we'll get to uh, the one Vinny J C mail and final thoughts. Um, Richard Seymour is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, what do you think, guys? Does, does does he finally get in this year? I mean, I know it's a long shot with Ron Borges. I mean, we're asking, you know, for trouble with this, but I'm gonna hold out hope. You know, Ty Law was able to cross the finish line, so. Maybe maybe this it will be the same for Richard Seymour. It's a shame that there are only two representatives so far of that Patriots dynasty, or or at least the first three years of that dynasty run that are being represented. It's a damn shame. But do, what do you guys think? Is he going to cross that finish line? I have a bad feeling, but I hope he does. Um, I I think I hope that. The guys that are in charge of speaking on behalf of not Ron Board just because he's a fucking dope, but 
I hope that they start to realize, and, you know, Steve brought this up recently, the general, just um, people need to start remembering these players were a part of the greatest dynasty. And when you keep them out, you're diluting the league in the game of football, because that is, if, if this is historical in terms of what they did as a player, they were a part of the biggest team and they were great. So, why are you keeping them out but allowing players who are basically pedestrian to get into the – I mean, I'm, they're not all pedestrian. There's some great players out there. But they were a part of, a part of bad teams. Um, and, and you know, I hate to use a quote from Aaron Rodgers, not vouching for that douche. But he said, typically the MVP is the best player on the best team, which I would agree with. That doesn't – it's not how it always works. But if that's the thinking and the media ate that up – then they should remember that the best all-time players were part of the best teams. Mm-hmm. And this is the perfect opportunity to stand by that if this is what the media is going to start eating up. And they need to start putting in more Patriots. I mean, that's bias, obviously. But there has to be some semblance of that. And if Seymour gets rejected again, man, I feel for the guy, first of all. And second, um, what are we doing? I, I, I don't think he gets in this year. I'm I'm really negative on it. I feel the same way you do. Real bad feeling, Dan. Um, I think he gets in next year. Um, and I think it's just sort of like he's been up and nominated so many times. I just think there were a lot of linemen. There were a lot of defensive players put in the, that were up for nomination this year. And they're mm-hmm. going to green light some others and put them through. I do wonder if next year, depending on if it's a little bit lighter on the defensive side, if Vince Wilfork gets the nod and they go in together. I think that's an outside possibility. Um, but I, I just, because the, the league plays those games. They play it where it's like a couple of Patriots will go in, a couple of this will go in. They try to put people in around the same time. A couple of years ago, I remember there was like, like three or four coaches that all went in at the same time. Um, I think it was Cower was one of them. Um, you know, Jimmy Johnson might've been another. Um, but they, they did, you know, they tend to do that where they try to pair all that up. So I'm sure, you know, in the, you know, cigar filled and, you know, you know, gastrointestinal delight that is the boardroom that may, where the decisions are made for the Hall of Fame, they discuss those things. But I think Seymour, he should have been in a couple of years ago. He should be in this year. I've just got a real bad feeling like you do, Dan, that they're not going to put him in this and, year. And he, he's a player that on paper he has great stats, but also like he did a lot more in the game than just what came up on paper. And I think that gets that gets lost, especially the farther we get a lo- away from the last time he played. It, it's it's like we talked before; like you start to lose memory of what's the actual truth and like how good he actually is as time goes on. And I'm afraid that we're just doing that right now. It's the same thing that happens in the baseball Hall of Fame sometimes, and I think it's really hot topic right now with that voting in terms of the steroids and everything like that. But if you went back to that time. Those were the best players at the time, regardless of what we know now. They were the best. And Richard didn't do anything like that. He deserves to be in. He made that position almost innovative. He did some things that then grew after him that a lot of people downplay. I mean, uh, you know, there there's very few players of his size that played different techniques. Like, uh, there's very few that come to mind. And that gets downplayed as well. So it only gets downplayed if you're a Patriot. John Lynch 
he all captain intangibles getting in over Rodney Harrison. They talk about all the intangibles. Like Derek Jeter. It's like, it's like, yep. just you, you just think of like intangibles and, oh, he was the, oh, captain, my captain. He was a leader, like things like that. And just a name you just remember. And yep. that's another thing I heard of him. Like, I think that happens a lot. It's like, you know, people see names like, you know, like Casey Hampton and probably like, I don't know, like people might be like, he'll, he'll get him because I remember that. I remember his name. As of today more Tampa Bay Buccaneers during the era of the Patriots three Super Bowls during 2000 to 2010 are in the, in the hall of fame and less two Patriots from that era are in the hall of fame. That tells you everything you need to know. I'm going to pull out my abacus here, my, my next gen abacus. And it tells me that three is greater than two. And that seems to be a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, you got, got got your Sesame Street lesson. You got your, you know, got everything on this show. But um, so basically, Bill, you think that Seymour's going to get the, the Susan Lucci treatment, and that he's been rejected all this time, and then next year we're like, ah, we'll give it to you anyway. You know, yeah, like a lifetime achievement. Ugh. Exactly, he's going to get the lifetime achievement nod and sort of be the first guy that goes up and gives the speech to warm up the crowd. Yeah, because that's how that that's how the Hall of Fame is going to view him. But you know what? And, and but you know what? I'm I'm in agreement with both of you. And if he doesn't make it, they just need to blow up the like I said, blow up the whole thing and turn it into a golden corral. Yep. Or so, Arby's, as as you know, General Steve has been yeah. pushing real hard. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Just just blow it up. It, it, we'll talk. We'll talk in a minute about the actual Hall of Fame that I want to give props to. But uh, one email from Vinny Jace at EntitledWeekend at gmail.com. Uh, and this is a fun one. He says, uh, since Kevin James is playing Sean Payton, how long until we wait for Adam Sandler to play Bill Belichick? <laughs> it's, not, it's not Adam Sandler. You know, you know who would play Bill Belichick, and it, it, it just makes the most sense to me? Adam Driver. That guy has the most pan face of any any actor I've ever seen in my life. He can just sit there deadpan forever. Oh my god, is Adam Driver not the perfect Bill Belichick? Just age him up a little bit. Holy shit! You know who I, I you know who I think I should play, and he may be too old for it now. I don't know. It's Tommy Lee Jones. I just like I could just see like him just the way you know. I think about him in like No Country for Old Men, and just how serious he he looks and just like, I could just see him playing him, like, especially at the press conferences uh, and things like that. But um, if we're going to, if we're going to go satire in, in a role that they really don't belong in, um, man, uh, I'd have to go like Zach Galifianakis because I think that would be hilarious. If, Who's, especially, is, that, is that the guy who, who in, in the, well, see, and here we go, bingo card, because if you, if you heard the last in Titletown, um, describing gifts, I'm going to do it again. Um, is that Zach Galifianakis, is that the guy nodding with, with the, in the, in the, uh, you know what I mean? You know the gifts that, is that him nodding? He's from The Hangover. I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's the wolf pack from The Hangover, yeah. Yeah, he's the wolf pack. Uh, he's like the three best friends that anyone could have guy uh but it, you, if you've ever seen uh between two ferns uh and zach galifianakis does this a lot in his comedy is he does a very serious face very uh dry delivery uh trying to like not laugh but usually making the other person mm -hmm. crack but that would just be like the dumbest casting 
but it would be hilarious at the same time. Yeah. If we're going that way, I would go Steve Buscemi. Hello, fellow children. I think that one would be absolutely wonderful. As long as we don't get Frank Caliendo, please don't do that because uh, nope. Oh, Frank! I will, I will walk out of the theater. Oh no, nope. that could spend that an guy, hour on. That guy sold his soul to the devil to get that deal with Fox. I mean, he makes impressions, but man, that guy is a walking character. Uh, he's just. Like how how do you what do you do at home? Like what's your personal life like? He does impressions. Like his yeah. poor his poor significant I think other. He just talks to himself in different voices at home <laughs> yeah. to entertain himself. But yeah, yeah. So uh, final thoughts time. Uh, yeah, it was. Thank you, Vinny. Um, we, hope, we hope we hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. Um, final thoughts time. Bill, you're up. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about the AFC East because we've talked a lot during like the Brady Belichick era of the AFC East being bad, and we've long dispelled that. We've said like they've had ups, they've had downs. All the different teams have had different strengths and weaknesses at different points. But I mentioned, I you know, I think I mentioned in the thread recently that the the Dolphins and the Bills were largely not bad for a dura- for long durations of time. They had competitive teams bubble up here and there, and the reason that they were really pushed down for so long was because they never got to sniff divisions for the most part, and it led to the decision to change the direction the team was going in every couple of years. Now that we have a few years separated from the Br- Belichick-Brady era, I think it's important to look at how absolutely putrid the Jets are. So the Bills are 23 and 9 since Brady left the Patriots. The Dolphins are 18 and 14. The Patriots are 17 and 15. All three teams have winning records. It's showing that there was a lot of quality to the AFC East over a duration of time, and that now that Brady is gone, there's an opportunity for there to be some competition in the division. The Jets are 6 and 26. They are also 0 and 11 against the AFC East in the last two years. And have given up 30-plus points 15 times in 32 games. They are just legendarily horrendous, and I would almost put them as worse than the Lions because there's they just... They don't have that, you know, they don't have that random win crop up against good teams in most years. This year they did. They did have that with Tennessee, um, but in most years they really don't. The reason for this is just mistake after mistake in roster building. And I looked at their first round picks and they've had one first round pick since 2008 that has played beyond the length of their rookie contract. And that's Muhammad Wilkerson who played for them for seven years. So one guy from 2008 through now has played for five, for five plus years being a first round pick on their team. They have picked 17 players in the first round over that time. And there's still four on their roster who have a chance to break that trend. It's uh, Quinnen Williams, uh, Mackay Becton, Zach Wilson, and then Alicia Vera Tucker. So they've got a few guys who might have the opportunity to break that trend. They would expect Zach Wilson to. The other guys are, you know, more def- more lineman oriented, and it's going to be dependent on their progression. To counter that, in the same time, the Patriots have picked only 12 first-round picks, and four of them played for the Pats beyond their rookie deal, including Mayo, McCourty, Hightower, and Solder, with three more still having a chance to do so, which would be Isaiah Wynn, Nikhil Harry, and Mac Jones. So you're just looking... It's a small microcosm, but looking at this, it really points out the difference between the AFC East is bad and the Jets are bad. 
everyone thought forever that the Bills and Dolphins were the same as the Jets. And I'm here to tell you, the Jets are putrid because of the Jets. The Bills and Dolphins struggled for 20 years because the Patriots had their foot on the throat of the division. There's a huge difference between the two. And the Jets deserve all of the hate that the Lions get, that the Bengals got for a long time. And they deserve to be sort of lumped in with that, not lumped in with the Bills and Dolphins, who have clearly shown that they are more functional franchises than the Jets. I'm smiling like the Cheshire Cat right now. J-E-T-S, suck, suck, suck. Suck, suck, suck. (laughs) Dan, you're up. My final thought, and... This is, this is just a PSA to Patriots fans, especially on Twitter, is when someone mentions a player is available, and yes, bingo card, describe a gif, Bill Belichick walking out of the tunnel, when any, players, any player is mentioned, it is insane how Patriots fans just assume they have a shot at a player, the most recent one. It's Calvin Ridley. And there's a couple things about Calvin Ridley's case that annoy me with the Patriots fans just assuming this is going to happen. First of all, he stepped away from the game. Uh, There's a lot going on there. I don't know mentally where he's at. He wants a fresh start. Great. I think, obviously, I'm always open to whatever Belichick thinks is best. But let's just hold the phone here. We just had an offseason where we added Aguilar and Bourne. We have Jacoby Myers. Everyone went nuts for Christian Wilkerson last week. Just enjoy what you have. Just appreciate what you have. It could be worse. It could be much worse. It could be last year or 2019 where nobody's healthy or you have no one or no one that's skilled enough to be in the position to be at that wide receiver. And we're already just jumping to Calvin Ridley. Not even thinking about what you'd have to give up to get him. Not even thinking about what the cap does. But, of course, the GMs on Twitter are just calculating it out of their ass. Like, literally, Bill has an abacus. These people are pulling rows of abacus out of their ass like anal beads with how they think they can just come up with these numbers. Like, I saw one today that was like, just cut Isaiah Wynn. There you go. Well, you can't cut Isaiah Wynn because that costs you $10 million. These people just don't understand how cap works, how money works. And luckily, there's guys like Miguel out there who you know, keep up with the cap and understand it and break it down for a simple folk. But just relax. It's not happening, probably. And we're not even to the offseason yet which is another thing that infuriates me. You just went from a 7-9 and nine season. They spent all that money. They had a great draft, which really, that should have been my final thought. Check. I, I hope it's yours. The fan-sided article, which, damn it, that should have been my final thought. <laughs> but we'll talk about it next week. If you're going to say the last draft class was a weak class, and yet they hit home runs on Mac Jones, Barmore, and Stevenson, you need your brain checked. I don't care if you think you know football. Stick to Georgia Bulldogs football. You're a fucking idiot. Just stay offline. Stop writing, like Jack said. But anyways, you had a good draft. You had a great free agency. You got some pickups along the way. And now you're going to the playoffs. Just enjoy it. Just be in this season still. 
before we get to the off season, because it, it's just we can't we can't just live in the now. We can't, we always have to keep looking at this distant like, well, what if let's look at all the free agents that are happening in the off season? We're not done yet. It's not over, and this is like a longer season than last year. So you should just appreciate it. And that's my final thought because this is for everybody, and this is everything. Just appreciate what you have and enjoy it now. Versus you don't know what the fuck is going to happen in the offseason. And guess what? They're probably franchise tagging J.C. Jackson. They're not backing up the Brinks truck. I don't know what to tell you. All your free agency moves are not happening. And, and like Shaq said, we don't know the TV deals of what's going to happen. Just, just calm down and wait for us to know. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting next season. But, yeah, next season is not next season yet. So we got an extra game. We got an extra couple of games regardless. And my final thought is, well, it has to do with, we were talking about the hall of fame, the fake hall of fame earlier in the show, but I want to talk about an actual hall of fame that means a lot more than the real hall of fame. And that's the black cause football hall of fame. And this means a lot because, and Pax fans, I think you guys will know where I'm going with this. Uh, Ben Coates is going to be a member of the 2022 class. And I think this is so awesome and it means a lot. Um, he played for the living, the HBCU Livingstone college from 87 to 90. And he finished his college career with 130, 103 receptions, 1268 yards and 18 TDs. Um, totally well-deserved. And I think that he probably feels the same way. Uh, He's the original Big Ben. Uh, I, that, I, I, that's the joke I wanted to make. <laughs> so uh, he, he's not Big Ben. Like Ben Coates is Big Ben. Uh, one of his '94 season. I recommend you watch it. It's one of those holy bleep seasons. You know, like uh, Stanley Morgan of 1986, uh, Randy Moss of 2007, and Gronk of 2011. Like that's the type of season that he had. So um, one of my favorite player Patriots. One of my first Patriots I've ever watched. And uh, congratulations. Ben Coates, you deserve it. Um, that's going to do it for us at Entitled Weekend. Uh, Bill is at the Fib 0624. Dan is at Judon Sack Lunch. I'm at Atomic Dog 5150. Catch us back here next week for more shenanigans. And until next time, turn off your radio slugs. And he's held up reasonably well. Second down 10. Bledsoe looks down the middle to Coates. And Coates has a chance to go all the way. Breaks attack.